Welcome to the California Work Comp Report podcast by RateFast. Today is Wednesday, February 28th. I'm Corey Olson, your host, here with Dr. John Alchemy. How are you doing today, John? I'm doing great. How are you, Corey? I'm doing well. John, today our podcast topic is radiculopathy, and I understand from what you were telling me that there is a lot of confusion as to what exactly radiculopathy is and sort of how to define it in the medical community. And I was wondering if you could sort of bring that to light. Radiculopathy is one of those terms that has a lot of confusion um, and it's among, you know, not just administrative people and workers' compensation and people who review um, impairment reports, but also the medical community and the medical providers. One of the reasons for this is, is that people have different backgrounds, trainings, and experiences and and tend to have sort of these preconceived ideas about what constitutes radiculopathy. And radiculopathy is simply a, um, a, a sensation or a sign or a symptom that results from nerve root dysfunction at the spinal cord level. Um, that's, that's the broadest term. And that's actually how the AMA guides uh, defines it too. They define it as a significant alteration in the function of a nerve or nerve roots uh, usually caused by pressure on one or several nerve roots, and that's straight out of the book. Where I think confusion comes in for people is that they don't understand that there can be multiple reasons or causes um, or uh, no clear identifiable cause um, from the anatomy standpoint as to why the nerve is having dysfunction. Uh, that being said, um, traditionally people think that, oh, well, you know, someone has to have a, you know pain down their leg it has to, um, you know, have a herniated disc or it has to have a, a severe pinching of arthritis around the nerve. And although that's true, um, not necessarily the case in every, every event of radiculopathy. Um, so that's kind of what I want to clarify today um, for the listeners and for you is, you know, what, what is radiculopathy and what are the signs and symptoms? So it sounds as though a lot of the confusion comes from people being too specific about what exactly radiculopathy is? Well, I think they become trapped by their own definition and experience and uh, haven't really explored the AMA guides, which is, which is the law of the land in California. We use the AMA guides fifth edition here. Um, but that, I think, is, is the bigger issue, that, that exposing yourself and reviewing what the guides actually recognizes as radiculopathy and what you as an individual might think of as radiculopathy can be two very different things. Has the definition of it varied much between the editions of the AMA guides? No, not not so much, actually. Um, and, and I think the best place to have a starting discussion about radiculopathy, again, dysfunction of nerve roots, is, is what happens when a nerve root has dysfunction or pressure on it. Most often we think pain, you know, traveling down the nerve into the arm or the leg, and that's, um, that's one of our, you know, common uh, concepts. And, and just kind of starting there, everyone needs to understand that radiculopathy can have signs or symptoms or signs and symptoms. And that's, if, if people understood this a little more clearly when they looked at exams, when they took histories, when they do impairment rating, I think a lot of the confusion around radiculopathy would go away. Um, remember, a, a symptom is something that the patient understands or experiences. That can be pain. Uh, that could be numbness. That could be weakness um, that they feel. Now, a sign is something that I can document um, when I do the exam. 
and that can be um, that can still be numbness. The patient may not be aware that they're numb in an area, but maybe if I test it with a monofilament or I do some two-point testing, you know, I can determine that there's um, objective sensory loss. If I measure the distance around the calf um, for muscle, what we call atrophy, um, that may be present as a result of radiculopathy, but they may not have any pain. Um, you know, reflexes may be asymmetric. That can be evidence of radiculopathy. They uh, may not have any understanding of that being present. Um, their foot can drop as a result of pressure on a nerve, but they can have no pain in the leg or sensory loss. So you can have all of these, you know, different different combinations of signs and symptoms of radiculopathy, and that's what makes it so confusing for people. I see. So a symptom would be something along the lines of something that I, imagining that I'm the injured worker, I'm experiencing whereas a sign would be closer to an observation that you as the physician would make. Yes, that's correct. That's correct. And sometimes the signs and symptoms match up, meaning you have pain on your right leg and I have sensory loss on that right leg and weakness on the right leg. But again, not necessarily. I could have, you know, sensory loss on one leg and weakness on the other and reflexes lost on, on one side and numbness on the other. So it's, it's really um, a mix and match. And, and the only way to make a determination on, on you know, the radiculopathy, the extent, um, the levels, and so forth, is to perform a methodical exam um, in addition to taking a careful history from the injured worker. I feel as though sort of mismatched or sort of unconventional mixings of signs and symptoms have actually made for some quite interesting medical discoveries. Well, I tell you, it's it's made for a lot of confusion, to say the least, um, in workers' compensation, um, you know, particularly. And, and the other thing to, to make it even a little bit uh, more confusing is the fact that, you know, when, when a nerve root has dysfunction, we expect a sign or a symptom within that particular um, area of the leg that the nerve serves. But then uh, to just throw another curveball into everything, the AMA guide says that these dermatomes, which are the areas um, that the nerves uh, give sensory to and motor strength, it says um, the dermatomes uh, overlap is common. So you can have one nerve root um, that has the primary problem, but it may be experienced as symptoms in its neighbors, you know, because um, yeah, everyone's a little bit different. The wiring's a little different, how the nerves develop and so forth. And uh, so, so now we have another level of um, admitted confusion in the AMA guides uh, talking again about these dermatomes aren't, aren't perfectly, um, uh, you know, outlined like they are in the book. Um, we would like them to be, um, but that's not always the case. Hmm. What do you see being kind of inserted into the maybe the AMA guides or maybe sort of medical education at large that would sort of ameliorate this problem? of kind of a confusion over radiculopathy. You said that sort of a clear definition of signs and symptoms would definitely be uh, very helpful. Is there anything else that you think would just be a, sort of a very good step in the right direction to help understanding this better? I think the biggest um, challenge is, is getting people to um, come off this um, uh, kind of this idea that they hold fast to, and I'm not saying everyone's like this, but but the majority of the people that I experience um, who have a hard time of this is is letting go of this herniated disc plus pinch nerve equals leg pain equals that's the only rating for radiculopathy. Um, that's that's 
primarily the biggest issue. And, and the understanding that the signs and symptoms of radiculopathy um, may, um, you know, may, may be present together or absolutely independent. And there's, you know, there's different tables in the chapter for the spine. Um, and I'm kind of looking at the lumbar spine right now. But there's a long list of what the um, AMA guides, um, you know, accepts as radiculopathy. For for instance, it could just be, um, it could just be pain in a dermatomal distribution. But but you know they have these different grades, and the higher grade of radiculopathy, which gives more impairment, talks about um, uh, things such as uh, significant dermatomal pain or sensory loss, or reflexes, or muscle strength, or atrophy, um, you know, or even a nerve test that may or may not show, you know, radiculopathy. And all these things are a list. Um, None of them are dependent on one another if you read the definitions um, in the chapter. Again, because the AMA Guides has defined radiculopathy so broadly, um, that it doesn't have any dependencies of uh, signs and symptoms. And that, again, really um, loans itself to, to confusion when trying to apply these and getting an impairment report out to the stakeholders that's um, reproducible and supported. With sort of a rigid idea of what radiculopathy is, sort of some of the problems that might arise from that might be sort of an incorrect impairment rating or maybe an incomplete impairment rating or maybe a kind of a weak understanding of the actual injury? I think more um, often than not when it comes down to when I've had depositions, discussions with attorneys um, and so forth, it, it more or less comes down to, um, you know, I understand and I see what they're writing down. I don't agree with it. You know, so so it kind of comes down to this um, this, this subjective belief, um, because when when you when you look at these signs and symptoms as uh, independent indicators of radiculopathy, there's a lot of work that has to go into a history and into a physical exam. Um, all of a sudden, you know, you have to be taking um, measurements. You have to be um, doing nerve testing. You have to have two-point discriminator. You need to have um, monofilaments. Um, you know, you need to do a very careful inventory of the motor nerve roots and so forth. And, um, and, and, and I just think that people have not invested enough time into understanding it in order to apply it. And, um, but, but, you know, that's my experience with the people I've dealt with who have kind of um, pushed back against some of the applications of these uh, very definitions that are clearly printed in the text. So sort of a better and more objective understanding could save a lot of time in the future. I definitely think so. And it would be more consistent, um, you know, with with how people perceive their symptoms. I, I think the AMA guides has, you know, gone out of its way to give some leeway that, hey, you know, radiculopathy can, you know, cross over dermatomes. Um, it can just be sensory. It can just be weakness instead of this, like I said, this very um, rigid model that people have, you know, herniated disc, pinched nerve, radiculopathy. That's the only thing we're going to um, award the rating for. And, um, you know, that's that's just not uh, consistent with the text. So I try to make efforts to educate um, people and, and reference throughout the text. Now, albeit the AMA guides is not a, a, a perfect text. And I think there are um, areas for confusion or where it could have been defined um, maybe a little better. 
But, you know, this is what we're working with. And that's uh, what we try to draw our conclusions from the definitions in, in this book. And, of course, apply, um, you know, medical judgment uh, where appropriate. John, what does a rateable data set look like on an exam and history for radiculopathy? Well, the rateable data set is um, it's pretty standard. Again, if you have a if you have a good foundation in the AMA guides, uh, the, the questions in the physical is very straightforward. The first thing that I ask in the history is about the symptoms, and let's uh, take let's take a low back injury um, as an example. I ask about um, present um, symptoms that the individual is having in their legs. So this could be: is there pain in either leg? Is it right or left side? And if it's there, um, where is the distribution? Is it the back of the leg? Is it the front of the leg? Is it the bottom, um, et cetera? And, uh, and then I uh, always um, ask about a, a pain value and a frequency um, that, that the, the pain has. Now, one thing that gets overlooked in a lot of exams is the question or the description of how the leg pain has changed or evolved since the injury. And I don't think um, that our listeners will see this uh, very often, if at all, in any reports. Um, we always ask about how are you doing today? What are your symptoms today? You know, how do they impact your ADLs? And those are all correct questions. But what doesn't get asked is, well, how was the leg pain when you first got hurt? For instance, when you first got hurt, it was in both legs. And now it's just in the left leg. Okay. And, and that may or may not sound very valuable when you're just kind of listening to the history. It's like, well, who cares? You know, we're just trying to figure out where we're at today there at MMI. But if you, if you look over the way that ratings are written, particularly for radiculopathy, they want to know, has the radiculopathy improved or changed or resolved? And has it um, improved or changed or resolved as a result of conservative care? Or did it require a surgery? Um, to improve it. So, so, you know, this is kind of one of the subtleties of the history and the impairment rating in radiculopathy is that, is that radiculopathy not only is like a point in time today, but how did you get to this point? Did you get better? Did it affect ADLs in the past and they no longer affect you? So these are kind of things um, that, that make the radiculopathy rating a lot more difficult. And I'll tell you on all the exams that I review, I don't see these questions um, uh, really at all asked about the pattern um, of the radiculopathy. So the history is important. Sensory perceived weakness um, is, is very important. Of course, uh, how it affects the ADLs. Moving on um, then uh, to the physical exam, you know, we, we want to um, uh, obviously do the inspection, palpation, um, those kind of things. But particularly with radiculopathy, we need to have thigh measurements. We need to have calf measurements. Um, you know, those need to be done in centimeters. Um, we need to do uh, careful motor testing, sensory testing, as I referenced before, with the two-point discriminator in the monofilaments. Um, and then, of course, uh, you know, the reflexes and so forth. So that kind of covers the, um, the subjectives and the physical exam. Now, the objectives, of course, include um, an X-ray plain view series of x-ray, flexion extension x-rays um, for instability, and also um, an MRI. And the question comes up, you know, does every case need an MRI? Medically, no. Um, administratively, yes. 
because um, herniated discs um, are rateable in and of themselves in, um, in the spine chapter. So for a complete rateable um, data set, you do need an MRI. Additionally, you should also have nerve studies. Now, whether or not they get approved by the, approved by the insurance company is something else, but um, they uh, definitely are included in a, a complete rateable data set. And it's a very tall order, you know. How many reports are going to have that level of detail in there, um, you know, for radiculopathy? Not many. Don, what kind of comments do you have for listeners regarding reviewing or rating radiculopathy in reports? Whether you're a, a physician or a provider creating a report or an administrator reviewing it, everyone needs to have a checklist. Um, you know, checklists are obviously important to make sure that everything's done, um, nothing's missed, etc., there's checklists for takeoff on an airplane and, you know, checklists, checklists for quality assurance everywhere else. And radiculopathy should be no different. Everyone should know what they're looking for in reports, what's present and what's absent. Now, it's not unusual um, when you pull a report and take a look at a rating report for about only 20 percent of the data being there. Um, you might think it's, you know, hey, that's surprising. Really, uh, you know, 80 percent of the stuff is not there that needs to be there and impairment report for radiculopathy? And the answer is, yeah, it is. Um, if you just recall that, that list that I went through of, of history, um, physical exam findings, and diagnostic tests, it's a pretty long list. So, so I would like people to focus on when they're looking at reports, um, A, how much of the actual data is present? B, are all of the applications of the AMA guides, um, signs and symptoms, um, being rated properly and, and given appropriate representation um, in the report. And then C, something that I don't see very often, is, is what is really required or needs to be at least called out to the stakeholders as repair of the data set. So A, know what's missing. B, know how to rate what is present. And then C, know how to make a recommendation to the stakeholders that if they do want um, a, a fix or repair on the impairment process, what will that be? Will it be measurements? Will it be additional diagnostic tests, et cetera? And once you lay out a report like that, um, the report is not meant to be judgmental. It's just meant to be objective. And, and once you lay out to the stakeholders that, hey, this is missing 80% of the data, here's what we're missing. Um, then a determination can be made to fix it or not or to move forward. But the main thing is that if you're going to settle a report on an incomplete data set for radiculopathy, everyone needs to understand that it's incomplete. doesn't mean that it can't be settled, um, but it, it just needs to be very clear to everyone that this number is dependent upon the data that's here. And it may be a different number if we have more data, but this is what we have in this report. And this is the value of this report as it sits today. Wonderful. Well, that concludes our podcast for today. Thank you so much for coming on the show, John. Happy to be here. For more information on radiculopathy, drop into our blog at blog.rate-fast.com. And to learn more about RateFast impairment rating software, visit us at rate-fast.com. <laughs>